Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. So welcome to another episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us today. I'm your host, Raphael Harry. Have two fantastic guests with us, Andres and Gali Gonzalez, and these are fantastic people who fate brought my way. Although we've been seeing each other for quite some time, but sometimes you know it's like uh, episode ten. You see the person or the people, you say hi, hello, and then one day you have that long overdue chat and then it's like hey i'm an immigrant too and i'm an immigrant too and like oh you know why don't you come on my podcast and then you realize that there's so much to talk about and then ta-da-da, you're here and you discover that um the husband and wife that we have in the studio today are both born in different parts of the world oceans apart continents apart and you know desert tropical worlds and it's like wait wait let's wait, wait, wait this this is just perfect for this podcast this is what this podcast is about how did you guys even make it to new york you know we just have to have an episode about you guys so um we have who do we start with we start with gali who um all i'll say is she was born in the middle east and she will tell you where she was born and she ended up in um chicago where she has a postdoc uh she accepted a postdoc position at the university of illinois in is it is it pronounced champagne in champagne it's my oh. my father actually was oh. the one who accepted oh sorry it. your yes. father accepted um uh, postdoc position at the University of um, Illinois in mm-hmm. Champagne. Wow, that, that's really called Champagne. Yeah, it's called Champagne. Yeah. <laughs> I came up with the names like they, they were so original, you know. And she is into anthropology and sociology, and she took a job as a research assistant at a laboratory in um, in. In um, the same university? Same university, but in Chicago. In Chicago. Yeah. Oh, so you wanted the transplants from Chicago uh, ended up in New York. So we'll get to that. And Andres came all the way from South America, had an interesting journey, began as an undocumented immigrant. But um, yeah, so he, he moved to Chicago in 1998 and um, when he was 12 years old and he graduated college as an undocumented immigrant. But they are married with two beautiful girls, and, you know, they'll tell us about family life, and there's so much to cover here. So let's, let's just dive into the episode. So welcome to the show. How you all doing today? Doing good. Pretty good. I'm doing well. Thank you, Rafael, for inviting us here Thank to you. your podcast. This is quite the awesome experience to get to share our our journey we were just talking about that that we really haven't talked about our journey as a couple and as immigrants before so that we're very excited to do this here with you 
hey, I'm glad you guys chose to come here and do it. And yeah, let, let's let's dive in. So, um, you know, from um, my childhood, there's a whole lot of pictures that I had about the rest of the world, which was um, it came out from different avenues. One was from like everyone else was from media like tv you know movies and then for me in particular we had uh, my elder brother who um, was 11 years older than i am had um, a whole bunch of encyclopedias that they bought for him my mom bought for him and um, i could like go sneak up on him and grab them and i was just interested in looking at um, pages that had pictures or drawings mm -hmm. And then I would use that to like, oh, where, where's this place? And then that's how I started knowing about some places, other parts of the world, and start imagining. So they didn't really have stuff about Africa. So I didn't really know much about what's going on in my continent. But I started knowing about other places around. And then being that I was from the Christian part of Nigeria, like a very strong Christian part, like Israel had to be in your face all the time so we had one picture of israel it's like god's god is yeah so you know so israel israel and then half of the uh i was in a gated community for some time in my life and like four or five years of the early part of before i was 10 and almost half of the neighbors that we had were all um from israel and that was the first time i've experienced racism funny enough but without even knowing that what that was because they segregated us and then we, we couldn't go to their houses and all that, but it would take years to, for that to make sense later on. But, you know, so all those things will come in and then, you know, later on it will start making sense that, like, oh, you know, this is what <laughs> was coming to our mind. But it was just like, I'd stand like, wow, this is, well, where's this place? I'm gonna go, yeah. And then when you become an adult, you're like, well, Israel was, this place had desert. You know, all the only image we had as kids were like, this place was, lush green just green and then yeah about colombia like oh colombia oh the only thing we knew about colombia was valderrama the guy with the afro like oh we want that. Oh. and then um the goalkeeper uh higita higita oh when he tried it in italia italia 90. oh my goodness yeah we all try to be like him as a goalkeeper that was it for us like yep colombia and then yes in 94 the unfortunate incident with Escobar, yeah, and then all the other movies, cocaine, and it's like, oh, Colombia, that, that's all we knew. And you mentioned those, so those, that was it for those two countries as a kid, that's, that's all. <laughs> but we didn't even consider that there were people there, like a life, like, what was it like, you know, for ch children growing up there? Like, did they play? You know, it didn't make sense to us, like, why would it? It's just like automatic. God, God, you're from Israel. Oh, God blessed you already. <laughs> God blessed you. It's heaven. So, with that being said, you know, what was it like for you, your childhood? And now that you guys have been together for some time, how do you guys, you know, what do you guys see as similarities between both, um, each other, from, from each other's childhoods? What, what would you say is the similarity between, um, from, Andres' childhood for you, Gali. That, like, what can you pick from his, uh, from your childhood that you say is a similarity in 
um, Colombia to Colombia, and what would you say the similarity to um, Gali's um, um, from Gali's part of Israel? Yeah. So actually, um, I think before I think we've uh, that's a good question. We usually see a lot of differences between we're just from such different parts of the world, mm-hmm. and we we did take a moment to think about well, what's similar? What what do we have that is really similar between these two completely different cultures? Yeah. Um, I think part of it uh, we notice is that we have words that describe certain things that you don't have in the U.S., right? Mm. So for us, the just family is very important for both in both cultures. Um, and we describe it as like, like I, you know, if we say someone's going to a party, or we ask, is like the whole group going to the party? The the whole chamula <laughs> is that the whole chamula is gonna go to the party? Yeah. You know, we we just we have the word for like this group of people that are gonna go and go together, <laughs> and um and it's it just you know there's a lot of reunions mm-hmm. um and a lot of food around it and it's just and when I went to Colombia, I did notice that as well with his culture you're always with the family and there's always food around and mm. you know you're experiencing things together um so i so i think that was um one big similarity that uh we discussed before um i'm not sure if you have yeah any, i uh, that's a, a similarity um as Gali mentioned but i think we you know thinking about growing up in Colombia and the childhood there, I, you know, I think one of the similarities that we kind of talked about recently was how unfortunate we, we grew up in not the best, most stable socioeconomic or sociopolitical times in our Mm -hmm. country. So, you know, like I think, my my wife experienced the Gulf War and I had, you know, in, in Israel and I was, you know, in the late 80s, early, early 90s, there was a lot of um, of cartel movement with regards to uh, Escobar. Yeah. And so it wasn't like I was directly impacted by it, but there was a sense of, you know, that we kind of grew up in these very, like, hostile um within a sense of family though community uh-huh. um i think um you know we both come from sort of similar similar similarly sized household like she has three siblings i have three siblings too oh so balanced yeah <laughs> balanced. kind of balanced um but another funny thing that i think we have in common is um just maybe a little bit of uh, blurry boundaries with family members and you know like um like they can just sort of give you unsolicited advice and like and you know sometimes there's no censorship yeah um and so you know on the one hand i think you can enjoy that and you can take that and make a lot of things with that but on other times you're like yeah Time and place for things, you know. Yeah, I think you guys can fit in with uh, with with the Nigerian, um, <laughs> no matter the tribe, because there's almost like 300 ethnic groups in Nigeria. So 
you can fit him with anyone because whichever one you, you you get, it's like you get the same thing. Like Verena has been adjusting to that. It's like, yeah, we just show. Is that? Are you breastfeeding or are you doing this? Like, um, yes. oh, right? My like, goodness, um, <laughs> that was a big the, one. The, the, she's like, um, <laughs> I, 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 am I supposed to answer that question? I'm like, yeah, uh, you're not supposed to, but they they will still ask you. Like, well, right from when we started dating, even even the ones who are not family. Like, um, there's this. She's a Nigerian lady that has a food truck that sells Caribbean food. And, you know, since I moved to New York and I met her, we always, like, had a good relationship. So when I started dating Verena and I was taking her there, I told her, hey, there's this lady, you know, she's just like an, an auntie to me. We're not from the same tribe. And I was like, the moment she sees you, she's going to just be prepared to, to be called our wife. We don't, do girl, we don't do girlfriends. You're just automatically a wife. So it's just like, she thought it was a joke. So as soon as she showed up, she's like, hey, our wife, how are you doing? Oh, you brought your wife today. We, we barely, I don't think we've even, we had, I think that was like two weeks into our dating. So she was like, huh? And then before she said something smart, I was like, I just held her hand like, it's okay, it's okay. Like, right. oh, so when is the baby coming? Right, right. <laughs> it's like straight right. away. There's just, you just, you, you get hit with that. Get like, point. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, um, don't worry. This is just mild. When you meet my mom, then you're gonna find out the the, the real version. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so this is yeah. just preparation. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very similar, and and how we kind of operate mm-hmm. in family mode. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. We as we at least understand that, so we can, you know. <laughs> we're okay with it. When it happens, know. we're like, okay, okay, we, we, had, we know. <laughs> we had twenty years plus of training for this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so yeah. You definitely when you're it's, pregnant, it's, yeah. when everything, it's like, oh, you're getting it from all sides, and they're never the, like they contradict each other too. Mm, you know, it. so one says that you do this, the other says, oh, no, don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like. Everyone has the better advice. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah as, as soon as Verena got used to it, it, it meant nothing to her. She, she, so she, she started laughing over it. You, you start <laughs> yes. to see the, the funny side of it the moment you get used to it and you're like, okay, yeah, but it's not something that um, I have to go to war over. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, okay, yeah, I, I, I've heard your auntie. All right. I've heard your uncle. Like okay, okay, all right, okay. They're like they just feel good. That did someone listen to me? That's it. They just need someone to listen to them. Like <laughs> then two minutes later, like oh, don't do what I even told you. Like okay, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moving exactly, on. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, so that yeah, that gave us a little bit of a of a preparation. Yeah. <laughs> so with that being said, um, what would you say is your favorite childhood memories? Um, I, I think, you know, this is really a powerful question and I, there's a few, but I grew up in, I was born and raised in Bogota and, um, you know, uh, uh, also it was a gated community. Uh-huh. We used to play soccer and, you know, in the parking lots and do all of that. So we my parents owned a finca which is sort of a summer place a summer house outside the city mm-hmm. um and i it was you know i really enjoyed going there um just because you know you got to be free 
and so um part of the my my favorite memory about this is that um we had sort of children sized machetes and <laughs> i was kind of the older one in my group with my cousins and we would just go into the <laughs> into the you know into the land and explore the finca also had a little uh, a stream so i recall vividly just being like the leader of a group of like six to eight kids um kids you know like roughly my age with machetes and we would just like you know, tr take the weed away from from the the finca and just like pretend we were kind of like these warriors and um, and I also, in fact, uh, I I made up like um, mon like m invisible monsters for the other for my other like the other cousins and and so like kind of like to scare them a little bit and. But it was, it's not like the most, uh, it's not the nicest thing, but I, it really was just a, a time and place to be free and explore and really just like, you know, make sense of the world the way you could without any adults, <laughs> without, um, you know, without a lot of like structure, you know, so obviously we would have to come back within a few hours of venturing out and exploring, but mm -hmm. we would come back tired and uh, and so with like fruits and oranges and, you know, wet because we had gone into the river and um, and I love that. I think that was, you know, just getting out of the city and just going there and like being the leader of this pack and and sort of this without unsupervised sort of uh, adventures was <laughs> really uh, no one got hurt i have to say make sure that this is on on tape no one got hurt but <laughs> <laughs> but it really just was like my uh. my first taste of adventure and like exploration and just you know uh, the facing the unknown like go ahead and so yeah that's a kind of like a really accessible memory i have that's nice what, yeah. about, what about you and, and, uh, um Gabby. so for me i did not <laughs> go around with machetes <laughs> <laughs> i think <laughs> my childhood is relatively more safe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, they were kid-friendly machetes. They I were kid-friendly. <laughs> they were dull, <laughs> not the sharpened ones. Um, <laughs> I don't think that exists. Kid-friendly machete. I don't know. Um, so I, yeah, I, I didn't grow up in the city. I actually grew up um, in a kibbutz. It's a socialist. Um, I guess agricultural commune. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be an agriculture, but it, it is. It does share. It's everything is about socialism. Everything is about sharing everything. Um, I even until age three, when they actually stopped this, um, I was living in a children home. So that's where I slept. Oh, wow. um, my brothers were they're older than me, so they obviously remember more than I do of the children home. Um, and so we all grew up 
um, with other kids. And we they were kind of like our brothers and sisters. We're still very good friends with them, even though we moved away. Um, but uh, so it was a completely different environment than Andres. Um, but my memory was more um, when I remember... And, and of course, there's a ton of memories, so it, it takes a lot to just yeah. boil it down to one. But yeah, one you, that you is, know, if you have two, you can do two. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think one was uh, when my grandmother would come visit us. She actually lived in Tel Aviv, so she's she lived in the city, um, and so she, she could take just a bus uh, to the kibbutz where we were um, and get there. So sometimes she'll come. I didn't. I wouldn't even know that she's supposed to come. And I would come back from school and I would go and she'll be there in the kitchen, like making these amazing Yemenite cookies. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this, I'm so excited. <laughs> There's going to be cookies and my grandma is here and that means good food. And, you know, it's just um, it was always great to just be coming home and seeing her there on the kitchen table, just working the dough and, you know, just the smell of the mm. cardamom and you know everything about it was just a you know it, it just stuck in my memory yeah, the <laughs> it, aroma of love it's the aroma of love yeah, yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah and and i mean now that i'm older you know i knew that sometimes she would come there because she was just tired of my grandpa um <laughs> but uh but you know <laughs> also for us in my culture the mother will always be there to help with the kids of her kids oh. you know so even my mom is here now helping mm -hmm. us you know um now that it's a little bit safer for her to travel yeah she's she came here to help us a little bit with the kids <laughs> because it's been um stressful with the pandemic mm -hmm. but um but yeah it's it's just that role of the mother and the grandmother uh so yeah so my memory was just having my grandmother there just you know baking being there with us it was great yeah yeah, yeah that, that's making me feel hungry already <laughs> <laughs> me too should have brought some cookies <laughs> <laughs> so what, what was your city called so the kibbutz um i lived in two different ones i lived in one uh just for three years i was born in the north in a kibbutz called sasa Sasa. It's right on the border of the of Lebanon and Israel. Oh, okay. Um, and then we moved when I was three. Uh, we moved to another kibbutz. Actually, I think it was four. We moved to a kibbutz in right by Jerusalem, um, and it's called Arel. Um, but that kibbutz right now, it's kind of you can't even really call it a kibbutz. It's kind of falling apart. The whole system is not working out too well. The kibbutz in the north is actually one of the richest ones. So it's like two extremes. <laughs> Mm. The one in the north is very successful, and the one in central Israel, Arel, where I I lived most most of the time in Israel, um, is not so much a kibbutz anymore. But the community is still there, so that's what's okay. Nice. So the community is still there, but it's yeah. just not successful. But yeah, you don't. We used to have breakfast, dinner, um, lunch, all in a community hall basically in this dining hall mm -hmm. uh and then slowly that ended um and people would start cooking at home because it was just not sustainable anymore um well, well, and people well, well, would well, why if i may ask 
Uh, a lot of it had to do with money. A lot of it had to do with some people left. Um, you you need enough people to also work within the kibbutz, right? So mm. people work the field. There's people that work in the daycare. There's people, you know, and if, if the kibbutz doesn't have enough of a product to sell, it's not making enough money. Or if people are going to work outside of the kibbutz also, it's there's a lot of things that... Um, you know, maybe it was mismanaged. I'm not even sure, really. Uh, but the kibbutz in the north, for example, they had a factory, and the factory got a contract with an American, with the American army, actually, oh, uh, wow. to make armor, I believe. Yeah. Um, and so they made a lot of money out of it, and that's why how they were able to stay uh, in in their social environment. Um, but oh. the the other kibbutz didn't really didn't have that. It's all about money. You can't have a social environment within a democratic, you know. Yeah. Um, so. Wow. It's just. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's something to look into. Yeah. It's something to look into because I think everyone just thinks about Israel as just um, the capitalist system mm -hmm. and aren't aware of. It, um, the diversity within the system right. that exists. Right. Although, like, um, there was there's this uh, news channel that I follow, independent news channel that I follow, um, one of the independent channels that I um, that I subscribe to, um, Double Down News, they're based in the UK, and I'm trying, I can't recall his name. He's Jewish. He's a, I think he's a, uh, one of them is British Jewish, and the other one is South, um, um, South African um, Jewish man who um, fought against apartheid. And um, was one one of I think they've actually had two. One was in prison with Nelson Mandela. Oh no, the one who was in prison with Nelson Mandela passed away not long ago. So the uh, the second South African was given. Um, I was talking about the guy who got in prison with Nelson Mandela. And then they started talking about the history of um, uh, socialism in within the Jewish community. And, and, I, was, and I was like, you know, this doesn't get talked about a lot. You know, people just have a mentality like uh, the, the impression is like, oh, all, all Jews are just into the capitalist mentality. Like they're all just, and that's where that stereotype, mm -hmm. which is used to make anti-Semitic, uh, comments against Jewish people keeps being thrown around the uh, you know, around the world that everybody just goes with. But they're not aware of systems like the kibbutz even existing, right. you know. So it's good to hear something like this. Yeah, and people hopefully can learn and choose to change their perceptions and you know and start unwiring their brains. <laughs> so hopefully people can learn from this and yes. and grow. <laughs> you know, that's what that's why I'm here, and I'm learning too. So, you know, it's, it's not just um, for the audience. So I'm I'm learning so along with the audience. Um, so you um, Gali, you you left, um, uh, you left, um, Israel. Uh, you left uh, you because you moved to Jerusalem, right? So um. When, we, at, uh, you, but you were in Jerusalem at age 10? So at age 10, yeah, I, that's when we left. That's when you left. Yeah. So you left pretty young. Um, up to age 10, that, that's still an age where you, 
some identity was beginning to form, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, would you say there was any role models or anything that happened around that time that may have begun the sowing of the seeds that were inspirations for laying the foundations to what you're doing today? Um, so when we left, uh, the idea was that we were only going to leave for two years. So when we left, I was excited about it. I was like, oh, we're going to move to America and we're going to, you know, experience it for two years and we're coming back. There's no, not a big deal. Uh, no, we stayed here for (laughs) much longer than the two years. (laughs) Um, so really when I left, I, I, I don't know, I didn't even think about it as, uh, life changing or anything Mm. at first i didn't think it was going to be such a big deal um but when i was told that we were going to stay uh that was when i was like what do you mean we're not going back Mm. (laughs) uh so so for role models um i I think i did i don't have a role model that i've had for just like okay i i just want to be this person i just want to follow what this person is doing with Mm -hmm. their um, I think I may have had different role models at different times in my life. Uh, so, you know, around that time, I don't, I don't believe I had a role model really. I didn't, I don't think I even knew that I needed to look up into at some, you know, to well, someone. I can, and, I can rephrase it because, you know, being, if I look at myself at that age, I wanted to be an athlete. I wanted mm-hmm. to, because around that age was when I was discovering the Olympics. Yeah. So my mind was, yeah, I want to run 100 meters, 200, although it got beat out of me or I was chewed out of it, like all the dropouts, do that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. That's what I was told back then, although it changed a few years later. But um, (laughs) there were still things that if you look back in your life, there were some one or two things that you may have unconsciously have picked up, like, oh, you know, you may have read something one day, I'm like, "I, I like this thing. And then you, you drop it, or yeah. you may have been like, "Oh, I, I care about people," or you just, but you—it's yeah. something that you may not really, you know, it doesn't make sense. You may not have made sense to you mm-hmm. back then, but if you look back on your life, you're like, "Oh, wait, wow!" You started exhibiting certain traits yeah. or habits or characteristics. Um, yeah, I was so definitely. Uh, I always wanted to travel. You know, that was a big thing. And I always looked up my uncle. He actually did a trip to India and Nepal. And and when he did that, I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. You know, like he gets to just travel and be free. And, you know, just he wakes up in the morning, doesn't have to go to school. He just goes and travels. That's so Imagine awesome. That. Yeah. like So, did, yeah. Did, so did he, did he share stories with you? Or? Yeah. Yeah. He shared stories. And so I think that's what, um, you know, inspired me to just, because, it, you know, when we were in Champaign, it was just a very small town, not very, it's diverse because of the university, I guess. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're going to high school there. I was maybe one of like three Jewish kids, you know, and so it's like, no one understands what why you don't celebrate Christmas or yeah. you know any of that or no you know it's I all my friends were from uh, you know not from the U.S. really they were all international um, because it's just who I connected with uh, and so while in Champagne my my view was for him right to just get out 
get out of the of mm-hmm. that place and just go travel you know just do have an adventure really um and so my parents especially my dad really wanted us to have an education so he said no you have to go to university and then you can do whatever you want <laughs> with that part <laughs> um so yeah so i i wanted i moved to chicago for university because of that you know um but i think currently currently my my role model is my grandmother uh because right now i'm back i'm going back to school so i'm in grad school and my grandmother you know in the 50s she she got two masters you know after having wow. kids right yeah. and so it's like not heard of uh, she didn't get the masters when, in the fifties, but she had started having kids in, in the fifties, mm-hmm. and then um, with kids she would go to night school at Cooney, actually, in Queens because uh, my dad actually came moved from the U.S. to Israel, and so um, she she made it and she got you know two two master degrees with three kids, wow. you know, and during those times I don't I don't even think she had that much support so me going back to school even though it's just seemed um impossible or like hard to reach for she told me just do it just do it one class at a time you you can do this and she she told me her experience with it um so so i would say looking at my journey and you know journey continues currently in in the journey my grandmother is my role model um of course you know so my mom uh because she she was the nurse at the kibbutz, so the clinic at the kibbutz, she was the only nurse there wow. um, taking care of the people when they're sick or um, what have you. So I I would go a lot to the clinic there, and I would at, see her. At how many people were in your kibbutz? So the one um, in central Israel, it was very small. It was maybe um, 60 to 70 families. But only one nurse. With one nurse. Yeah. That's still a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It was she was busy and, and so and that's yeah. not even that's not around this time where you have more technology available. Right. So Right. Yeah. yeah. And there was a um one doctor, but she basically did the nurse practitioner part. Right. Mm-hmm. So she would do most of the things and if whatever she wasn't sure of, she would move it on to the doctor. But um yeah, I would see I would see her as a kid. You know, I would I would go there and see her doing her work, or um, and and yeah, I did, did like the fact that she was she was thought of highly in the kibbutz because she was the nurse. So that was it was nice. It, it made me proud, you know, for her. But um, yeah, I think part of it she was part of uh, in my journey as a role model too. Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. So, what about you, Andres? Looking? I I think um, I already have a clue to something, <laughs> but uh, I'll let you answer. But I'll, I'll 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 throw in something if you don't say well what I'm expecting you to say. But <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> uh, uh, I think you know. Uh, I guess. Part of that role model uh, idea is someone, for me, there's not only someone who you want to emulate, and but also someone who kind of inspires you. 
And um, and so I moved to the U.S. when I was 12. And um, I, I would have to say my parents first, I think, um, just because, you know, now as a psychologist, I look back and I academically, I from an academic perspective, I started to study resilience. Mm. And um, and so, you know, I think they are the textbook definition of of you know of resilience and in many ways and um my mother has passed uh since we moved but i think just a sense of of like you know family unity of being able to like reframe a problem being able to use your resources um and and kind of just having like a, a positive attitude, a positive outlook despite adversity. That was kind of um, something that was instilled in me at a young age. And so really, I think that's where I, I kind of uh, start with the, with, you know, having a role model because um, I think we all have untapped reservoirs of resilience and sometimes as a psychologist i uh, help um, individuals unlock this um, this reservoir or have uh, access to this but um you know and i think uh, um yeah i think just that's something that um that they kind of uh you know we obviously you know, my my father is not a psychologist and so we have different professional lives but yeah. um but in terms of like specific value uh that i kind of wanted to take on to as an adult was something that you know that um that they had to develop moving to the u.s with four children and you know, you know, not knowing the language and um, being undocumented for for some time. So, yeah. So I think f for that, at that as a as a young adolescent and early adult, I knew about that. I just didn't know how to articulate it until much later. But, um, yeah. So. Um, I, I also am a big fan of underdogs, especially in, in soccer and football. And so I, I see... Well, on this podcast, it's football. Yeah, <laughs> it's football. And, <laughs> you know, I think I see, you know, there's a, always sort of a, a, a way to see the immigrant life as a, that one of the underdog because there's just so many cards stacked against you and so i'm i'm a big fan of of when that underdog kind of rises and overcomes and you know i know nice. that um i was a big you know i'm still i am a big football fan and um i know that colombia in the 90s they were top five in the world yep like nigeria made top five too <laughs> that, that, that was it 
We celebrate it too much. And, and that's right. That's you know that's the thing. If you then if you be if you're good, then you you have to be careful with how much you celebrate. Yeah. Well, one one thing I found interesting was when you were talking about your childhood. You mentioned leading the other kids, you know, and yeah, some people might look, you know, they, it was, you know, some people might look, focus more on the the cutlasses and well, oh my god, he was playing with stuff like I'm like yeah, but I I I relate to that because. You know, my, my growing up in Nigeria, you had to go cut grasses. They got, it was one of the, the chores you had to do. Like go get a cut last. You right, know, you're playing too much. Go, come on. Go. And yeah. If you were late to school, <laughs> you went to public, even private schools. They made us cut grass too. I'm like, I, I still don't. I try to think about like, you know, how many angry kids could have used that to hit the teachers? Like, oh, I don't teachers. I, I thought about it, but I, I never was that bold. But um, my my cutlass was never sharp too. So I guess they knew why they always gave me those cutlasses. Yeah, and I all yeah. remember actually yeah. cleaning the classrooms too. Like as a young kid in Colombia, I remember yeah. we had to. Well, you, you got to cut grasses, but um, going to play with a cutlass, uh, yeah, that's where I drew the line. Like uh, I I seen too many cutlasses. I don't want to see you no more. So yeah, bye. <laughs> but for 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 us, it was guns. And um, and I, I know people who look at me like, oh, you joined the military, like uh, so you must be like a guns advocate. And I'm like, uh, you know how many guns I played with as a kid? Everybody was buying guns for me. I was like, what do you want for for Christmas? Guns, <laughs> guns, guns, toy guns, guns, water guns, the guns that shoot lasers, the guns are this and that, guns, guns. Yeah. And yeah, by the time I was uh, an adult, I'm like, I want to see a gun. I want to hold a gun, although. I ended up joining the military and not even thinking about it until they put a gun in my hand. And I'm like, I really like a gun. <laughs> I don't want a gun. And then I, I never even put that connection until now that I'm talking about it. Like, oh, I probably lost uh, love of guns a long time before. <laughs> we, we, we actually reenacted torturing somebody as kids because we saw a video we weren't supposed to see. It was the civil war in Liberia. The 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 the, the warlord who actually became president. He had captured the sitting president, and they were selling that video on the black market. So one of our neighbors that had the video, and when he wasn't around, the older kids were like, "Hey, our dad got it." So we ended up watching it, and then we had to reenact the play. So they put me on the, the warlord's team, and I had lead the torturing. And they put me like, oh, go beat the, one of the oldest <laughs> kids. So I'm like, okay. So I had to like pow, slap, do that. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'll get you when I come out of, like they tied him. Like, I'm, I'll get you once they lose me. I'm like, oh, wait. I'm like, keep quiet. This is a real play. This is real. You, 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 we are under our control now. You, we got you. He's like, I'm not playing with you. I'm, I'm serious now. I'm not playing. I'm like, you work for the rebels. We got you. We are the government now. He's like, you think you think this is a joke? Just wait until I get out of here. I'm like, we're gonna kill you today. And I'm saying all that kind of stuff. I'm like, now nah, I look back, I'm like, my mom had seen me doing that. Oh my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. But yep. we had watched some videos we weren't supposed to, and 
Yeah, so by the time I joined the military, if you had told me to do that, I would have been like, uh, yeah, just go lock me up. <laughs> I'm not that kind of person <laughs> to repeat that kind of, nah. I, yeah, I'd, I'd done too much as a kid. So, But interestingly, you did the opposite. You were having fun with your your cutlasses while I was, <laughs> I was the opposite with my guns, taking it all the way. And then, yeah, so... Um, you 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 had showed leadership traits. That's the point I'm trying to make, though. I you know? yeah. You, I, you, 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 that that's the way I was going. Like, you know, some people miss those kind of things. When they, that's why I always bring that question of looking back. Like, there's certain things we did as kids that we don't see exhibits of what we are doing now. But we 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 we've, we've always had it in us. So like, I always bring up when I joined the navy and the. They, made me, they gave me a leadership position within two months of joining, and they put me in charge of people who had been in for like four years. And I was like, uh, are you sure? <laughs> I've never had leadership before. And then when you look back on what I've been doing when I was in high school in Nigeria, I was coaching my high school team. I wasn't the biggest kid. I was skinny, tiny, and there were kids who were like giants. And I said, hey, come here. You're not playing today. Be like, oh, you have that. I said, you're not going to play because you don't know how to play. And I would talk to and the, uh, the rumble, uh, they, but they couldn't beat me because at the end of the day, I could talk to them and then go sit down. And then they went and sat down. But like, how the hell you? <laughs> I was like, I know how to control. And then I brought tactics and I did everything. And then we, we won and we qualified for the state regional championship. But they were like, this skinny guy came to our school. He wasn't even from the region and he did it. And then they played some state politics and then some guy came because we didn't have a, a games, um, a sporting um, master for the for the school. So that's why I saw an opportunity to coach the school team. And people were listening to me. But that's leadership. But nobody yeah. told me that that was right. leadership. Right. So all my life, I never considered that leadership. I took a job working for my aunt when she started a company. And I was doing the same thing. She employed like giants. And then I was like the manager. But I, I was controlling them, and people were like, how you, how you get this? I want this type of boy in my company. Our friends were like, I want this type of person in my company. He knows how to talk to people. And I still didn't see that as leadership. And then when I joined the Navy, I'm like, oh, this is where I finally learned how to become a leader. I'm like, uh, yeah, but you always had it in you. Until after I went to university, and then someone was talking to me one day, and then they start telling me, tracing my life history back, and they're like, yeah, you know, you've always had it in you, you know? It's not like... The Navy just amplified it. Right. And I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think you're definitely <laughs> right, Raphael. And I sometimes I feel being the oldest in my family, um, with my with my siblings, that kind of automatically gives you that platform. But mm -hmm. then you have to kind of cultivate it. And I do remember kind of being um, someone who would just lead a little adventure out or kind of just facilitate the game. You know, it's, it's, when you're a kid, you need someone to take, um, not every time, but I do remember, um, you know, being... Yeah, some, it, it, but as kids, even you can tell who has leadership traits. Right. They just know when to lead. They just step up. Right. But if we don't have someone... We don't, we don't have someone speaking the language to the kids and re-emphasizing re it. Like, you know, you're a leader, like, you know, re telling them, 
did that kid is just going to go ahead living their life and then go back to normal and think that they don't have it until the right person comes and tell them, hey, you know, you could have. Because there were times in the Navy when people were like, why is your evaluation saying this? And I was there just like, oh, they just said I did a good job, so I'm just happy. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, <laughs> and they're like, nah, certain people shouldn't be above you. And um, they're like, you're leading a whole bunch of like seven, eight people. You, you're telling them what to do. And they just said, that's what they said on your evaluation. And I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. just there like, I didn't know that. The people were mad on my behalf, like trying to say, no, you shouldn't sign this. You shouldn't accept this. And I'm there like, <laughs> I didn't understand. Like to me, I'm like, yeah. but nobody has ever told me that it. Nobody has ever, all my life, nobody has stood up for me. So you know, right, right. But all my life, because I've been doing this stuff, but everybody has just been like, it's normal. So why should you expect anything? I've been, even my aunt who I worked for helped her build that company up. I never got paid. Right. <laughs> the only day I finally said, oh, maybe I'm, 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 it'd be a nice idea to get paid. I'd gone like six, seven months, and I finally like spoke to one of our managers. Like, hey, um. I'm kind of broke. <laughs> I couldn't even tell her directly. And he's like, okay, I'll go tell her. Mm. I don't know what he told her. When I came back from work that day, I got fired. Oh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so what was that reinforcing my mind? It's like you don't speak up for yourself. Right. And so I like cowered in my shell for a little bit. Yeah. And like, okay, maybe, you know. So all those things, but it would take years. And then after after the military, and then I'll go to therapy and but it would take years for me to go to therapy. I didn't go straight away. Uh -huh. take years. But when I started discovering, I'm like, there was so much stuff going on in my mm -hmm. life that, wow. You know? So that's why I always bring that question up and I try to let people know, like, hey, you know, you, you people had it. And, you know, like, that's the benefit my daughter will have now. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, you know, I can, I'm, I'm just going to be like a life coach, like throwing it all in her face. Like, whatever you want to do with it, do with it. But I'm going to tell, tell you. <laughs> I, I walk away. That's right. One of the many, many titles as a parent. Uh, you kind of have to be a, a, a life coach. A life coach. Yeah. yeah. So uh, now let, let's jump to uh, Chicago. Um now you 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 arrived in Chicago, um, Gali. You arrived at age ten, and Andres, you arrived at age twelve, right? Correct. Okay. So, did do you remember having any culture shock around that age, or was it later in life that there were things that started shocking you, like stood out to you? The first, just more like visceral shock was we arrived in um, December 3rd. Oh, winter. Two oh 1998. And I'll oh. tell you, whichever, yeah. if you meet a first generation immigrant, they will never forget the day they arrived oh. to this country yeah, or the day too. they decide to stay. So for me, it was, in, you know, one of the most brutal winters in chicago and that 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 winter they had gotten um like a few days after we arrived they had gotten just i don't know like 20 plus inches of snow Ooh, so real welcome that was that just <laughs> and, you know and it kind of drew a parallel of not only the shock of like the actual temperature being cold and just wet but also people, I think, when, when you know, fr coming from um, 
Colombia, where it's uh, it was it was hot. In, you, so you left like real hot weather in Colombia, right? Right. Uh, I mean, Bogota is. Um, Bogota. They. It's not. It's. Uh, I think twenty five hundred meters above sea level. So, it's not ter- It's not super hot, but you know, it does get um, rainy okay. sometimes so during tropical. the winter seasons. Right. So, but it's not. It's, it's not, it's not as, like as Brazil. Right. It's not as extreme crazy. as. Okay. Uh, um, so yeah, so that like the weather, mm-hmm. the actual temperature, and you know, in Colombia, there's just a lot of you know um, warmth when you go to the store and when you are talking to your neighbors, and when you like you know when you um, I don't know when just on your day to day, and so even though I was a, a teenager, I was starting to pick up um, that it was different. It was different from back home. Quote. Yeah. That it was, uh, you know, that it's not as as like uh, as warm as mm. it was there, and maybe I just, you know, had to realize or try to understand if it was, you know, what you know, what are the differences here, and so on and so forth. But yeah, for me, that was kind of the most striking the winter. The, yeah, I think for me it was. Um, so my dad again, he's. Originally, he's from New York. Um, And so I've been to the U.S. maybe twice before moving here. Mm -hmm. But we've been to New York, you know, like this is this was my image of the U.S. And so when we first moved, we moved in 97 in the summer. But we we were here in New York for like three months or so. And then my dad had just bought a car. It was the first time we even owned a car. You know, it was one of those blue minivans that it, probably every immigrant family first owned. <laughs> um, and so we drove that from New York to Champaign, Illinois. And Champaign, Illinois is about two and a half hours south of Chicago. Mm. So as we're driving out of New York, you kind of just see New York City behind you. Yeah. And then, you know, and then maybe, you know, in Pennsylvania, I see some mountains and hills, but it it really quickly becomes just flat lands, corn and soybean land. And that's it. And so I was so confused, like, what is this place? Why are we we here? (laughs) Why are we still driving? Like driving from Israel, the longest is from north to south. And that takes maybe six hours, right? Maybe eight hours if you stop a lot, right? But it's that's the longest drive that you would ever take. And most people don't even do it. We drove 14 hours to nowhere. And it was Champaign, Illinois is just a city in the middle of a cornfields that's all it is and it's you know one of those small town u.s um so yeah that was a shock and you know we living on the kibbutz we didn't go to a supermarket so Mm -hmm. just going to a supermarket was a big deal (laughs) and (laughs) pushing that little cart and you know my mom didn't speak english so and my dad was working right we moved for him so it was, you know, she she tried to navigate all of that and we were somehow thrown in there like try to translate this stuff for us yeah. and you know um yeah it was there was just a big 
blur, you know, in the first the first uh, year or so. Um, we're going to Champagne, being in this uh, completely different place. I mean, we didn't move in winter, but when winter came, I, I didn't know I could feel like cold that painful <laughs> i just and they always say that you get used to it and i that's not true that's not true <laughs> it's not you don't get used to cold like that um yeah it was it was a big shock it was uh, it's i like thinking about it <laughs> i'm still in shock thinking about my shock <laughs> you know so <laughs> so yeah it was um <laughs> It was, but again, it was supposed to only be for two years. So yep. I experienced a secondary shock, <laughs> you know, when I thought in the summertime of 2000, we were going to move back. And then they're like, we're not going anywhere. And I'm like, what? Why did no one discuss oh, this with me or say anything? Oh, I know I'm only 12, but why is no one <laughs> considering what I think? Um, yeah, but it was... Um, there was plenty of uh, shock, like, you know, especially like school and um, like, again, in that small town, like people just, they don't understand you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, it just, all of that experience in and itself was, uh, and I think like you said, at age 10, you're trying to already start developing some kind of identity Yeah. and you're being thrown into this and, and you're like, I don't even know anymore. I don't, I don't know. They're like, what? everything is hitting you from yeah. all corners. <laughs> yeah. Like. So, yeah, yeah, there was there was yeah. a lot of shock moving here. <laughs> yeah, that that's the only thing I, I, I look on and I'm like, I'm lucky I, I moved as an adult. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I'm like, I think that's one advantage. People like, uh, well, people like myself who are born in countries where English is kind of like the language, mm-hmm. uh, on technically on official language, because even if we come as kids, it's the assimilation thing is yeah. still um, a little bit easier for us. We don't have to worry about that part. It's just switching from the British English to American English mm-hmm. that we worry about. That that's the thing because I had to go through that too, but. Yeah, but I I, I remember because um, I arrived November first, um, two thousand and seven, and my mom had said um, I arrived in Virginia, um, Dallas Airport, um, DC, and um, my mom had said uh, the, the weather is gonna be like um, what was it gonna be like in the twenties or thirties. You know, wear big jackets. This, 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 this. I said, uh, I looked at it, it said 30s. There's <laughs> 30s in Lagos. So it's the same. Um, they didn't know about Fahrenheit. And, um, yeah, I didn't know that you had to convert it. From, <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize Amer- <laughs> Amer- Amer- America was in a different <laughs> system to the rest of the world. Yeah. I, didn't t- I didn't take that into consideration. So I just wore a sweater. And I was like, I'm sweating already. And, in Nigeria before I even got on the plane. So um, I just had a sweater around my neck. When it wasn't like a thick sweater, it was one of my lightest sweaters. I'm like, God, look how hot it is. So I had a sweater around my neck, and I didn't even tell people I was leaving. So people were like, why does this guy have a sweater on with a long sleeve shirt rolled up? Where you going? What kind of party are you going to? I was like, don't talk to me, man. You know, I had a different aura about me that day. 
and I was leaving. Only my cousin knew I was leaving and two of my good friends. So I got on the plane, I arrived at the airport. Um, as soon as I came out, my mom saw me. She's like, I knew, I knew you wouldn't listen to me. I knew it. But anyway, I said, good mother. I thought about you and I, I brought my jacket. I was like, what kind of old person's jacket is this? I'm not going to wear this. Hell no. Coming on, I just arrived in America. I'm going to dress like an old person. <laughs> Hell no, I got style, mama. Put on my sweater. I'm like, how cool is it anyway? She's like, do you want, you don't have health insurance. You want to kill me? This, 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 you want to die? I'm like, don't even talk to me. I got style. People start admiring this sexy boy. I'm, I'm, I'm going. So I stepped outside the, 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 the airport. Woo! The first wind blows on my face. I'm like, oh, hell, I, I buy it. I'm going back to Nigeria. Right <laughs> back into the airport. I was like, oh, no, no. You're, you're, you don't tell me about this. This, this wind is real. <laughs> oh, it hits you. It hits you. You know. They were like, uh, my mom was dying in laughter. She was like, oh, you. Yeah, she's like, you want to go back? I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not staying anymore. Bye. And somebody running inside the building. For whatever reason, people uh, forget to mention uh, how cold it really gets. They're like, yeah, it's uh, cold, but no uh, one no one prepares you for that. You're never going to prepare. No. I, I, I ran. Oh, then, then the heat came. When the heat arrived, I was like, oh, my goodness. I, I was like, Virginia, is this hot? Like, they're like, yeah, it's hot. I was like, what? And there was no air condition. In the house, they're like, "How many fans?" Like, oh, I got the fans on me. I was almost naked every day, and I was telling people in Nigeria, and they were like, "No, nah, it cannot be hot in America. In America, cannot be that hot." I'm like, "See, it's hot. It's hotter than my place in, in my, my my hometown in Nigeria. Oh, it's too hot. Oh, because I don't do heat. I was born in the part of Nigeria. I was born in. It's not really that hot. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, no, 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 no. Oh no, it's heat. I don't do heat. Nope. Mm mm." No, 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 no. Nope. Give me cold weather. I'll take the cold. No. Nope. Uh-uh. But I can't do Chicago, no. No, I ain't coming there. Not that cold. <laughs> yeah. Not that cold. <laughs> Miss me with that. <laughs> Keep me in between. <laughs> no, but my, yeah, my mom still has, so she makes fun, fun of me for that first day. She's like, this boy doesn't listen. Came out of the airport trying to be all, he's tough. And as soon as the first wind blew on him, he's like, oh. Yep, bye. <laughs> ran, ran back into the building. Like, oh, no, no, no. It's cold in America. She's like, it's not even winter. I'm like, oh, there's winter coming too after this? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, my God. It's different from this one. I thought this was the winter. She's <laughs> like, yeah. this is not winter. I was like, uh, yeah. Um, maybe we have to reevaluate this America thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I'm 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 nice. I, I tell people I try to warn people, but people don't listen. When like if you're coming now, I'm, I'm that person. Like, hey, get your jacket too. <laughs> Bring a jacket. If if you're coming during winter, like yeah, get your jacket. I'm like, why are you even traveling during winter? You've never yeah, kept, like go prepare yourself. You know, <laughs> buy ice, soak yourself in the ice. Right. Train. Yeah. Uh, you know. Oh man, yeah, that, that always brings good memories to me, though. Yeah, I learned my lesson, so I, I don't play. Like if I'm going anywhere outside, yeah, I, I check the weather, I take it seriously, I convert it, yeah, and on Google, make sure I ask Alexa, both of them. Okay, yeah, I'm sure then. And I'm sure your mom doesn't let you forget it. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I, I hit her back too. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm tough, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have a good comeback. 
That's good. That's good. That's good. I'm like, I remember all your scenes. Let me list them out. And I'll start throwing it back at her. Like, here you go. <laughs> nah, but she, I let her win sometimes too, you know. <laughs> That's right. So, um, did you guys, so wait, how, how did you guys meet in, in the first place? Before I get into the question of, uh, um, of, tr- of traveling proper. Hmm. Um, so we met, we actually, so it was during his second year at the University of Illinois in Chicago. And my first year, so actually my second semester, we took the same class. We both started in biology. Oh. So we were both in biology class. And um, I don't know, it was just one of the lab, you know, for biology, you needed to choose uh, a group of four. I didn't really like my group of four. They were working too slow. I like to be, you know, just split and conquer and more than just let's go through things one by one. And his, he didn't really have a group. He had maybe this, it's kind of like the Stranglers, you know, like the, oh, the, the, they were like, to class or like hey, me at the end, because I just kind of like, I'm not staying with this group. And then there was two other um, people from that class. Then we were just all staring at each other. Like, I, let's just do this and finished it all quickly. And then it turns out we knew um, same people. So we had similar friends. Uh, yeah, so, so we were going to hang out and I told him, no, I have, you know, I have this birthday party I need to go to. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'm also going to a birthday party. I'm like, oh, cool, you know, and, and we were somehow we figured out that it's, you know, in the same place. And I'm like, do you know this person? He's like, no, I know this other person. It turns out we were twins. Oh. So I knew one twin, he knew the other twin. Convenient. <laughs> yes. So we went to the same party <laughs> and, you know, um, and we just started hanging out more, uh, you know. So, yeah, after that, it's history. <laughs> we, just for the record, I did have a group back in that lab session. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... You are admitting that you were the first, because my, my next question was going to be, who was the first person to get distracted and start breaking away to like, I'm, I'm intentionally be like, oh, I want, I want to be next, you know, form excuses. I want to intentionally come near this person to just, you know. I, I think I, that I want, for sure that was me. Okay. I, yeah. I, the moment you admitted that you had a group, I was like, okay, now nah, <laughs> I, I think I already know the answer to this question. I, it was me and just, you know, I, I, kind of you know so and this girl i'm like oh she's you know she's cute um let me see what i can do here make this biology class a little bit fun so i um i started to notice that she was um you know i think this was so many years ago but i i started to see that she was gonna start to drift from her group and i you know you know how it is man you kind of just Hey, so you're in this bio class too, huh? And you start talking, and um, well, my my university experience is a little bit different, but I, I I know how that works. Yeah, okay, but right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, like you know what, you know how it is, man. You sort of just like try try to try to. No, try no, no. I'm I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. No, I I, I feel you on that. I'm with you. But uh, but yeah, I think uh. That's that's when we I you know I thought she was uh, definitely not uh, you know not local meaning she was had to be born somewhere else and um, and just maybe I 
Ireland was the first country that I came really? to my mind. Yeah, and so I'm like, "Are you Irish?" She's like, "What?" You know. <laughs> um, and then well, she, what, what came through your mind when you asked that question? I got. I'm know. like, "Wow, this guy knows nothing." <laughs> <laughs> he he didn't lose you like points deducted. One strike. Points deducted. I, and then she started telling me like she knows how to dance salsa, and I'm like, "What do you know about dancing salsa?" And then. She's like, oh, it's actually kind of a big scene in Israel, and oh, she really liked you if she told you that. She, that you know, yeah. and it, this is—I have to admit, this is kind of embarrassing. But I tried to uh, impress her by knowing some, you know, by being familiar with champagne. So um, I remember her telling her that I knew this place, um, and it's like it's a it's a strip club. And I told her, yeah, I'm, I, I, I know I go to Champagne and I go to this place. <laughs> and then she's like, okay, this guy's a weirdo. Man, this, this is so like a rom-com. I had to make an image for myself there and recover quickly. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you, 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 yeah, sometimes you're like, okay, that if, was not, if, I was if, not in my element. That if, day. if you have, if you have to go back again and redo it, do what I do. Like I met Verena in a different way. It was the the the, the modern day dating style of yeah. Tinder. That's how I met <laughs> Verena. And when she mentioned that uh, she's German, I was like, oh, are you one of these Americans who just threw I'm German or I'm Irish, that kind of thing, or are you the real deal? And she said, no, I'm from Germany. I was like, oh, what part of Germany? And she said, I don't know if you know my city. Well, I was like, I might not know your city, but what's the big city that's next to it? And she said, oh, a city that's close to Dortmund. I was like, oh, that's my German team, you know, the, the Bundesliga. I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh, you watch, you, you follow uh, German football? I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't do English football, but I, I know football. Outside of England, I know every football. So Germany is my one, my, and that's my um, top. My top two European national teams are Germany and Italy. I always have those back backup cards that I could throw. There like, you go. Pow, pow, pow. There, you got it. You got so it. As soon as I started throwing that, she's like, "Oh, so what you know about Dortmund?" I was like, "Oh man, when Dortmund won the Champions League. I just like hit out like a couple of things." She's like, "Okay, this, this this guy. You gotta let's, impress let's, the ladies, let's, man. Let's let's have a let's have a conversation because he even knows more about my area than I do." And then I was like, "Oh yeah, but I, it wasn't it wasn't like I had anything, but it was just stuff that I knew about the area just from my watching." Football, but that's the reason why. One reason why I always enjoy football. Like even when the first time I flew through Germany, I won my German soccer jersey, and they were. Uh, it was right after the um, the. Uh, I was coming from Nigeria, and they had uh, um, uh, the the Nigerian guy who tried to blow um, the plane. That uh, was he in Chicago or the guy with the underwear bomber. Mm, yeah, just happened like a day or two before. I, I was supposed to leave Nigeria. Oh, I was wow. already in the Navy. So I knew with my American passport, they wouldn't harass me. But still, coming from Nigeria, I knew they were going to be, all eyes would be on the plane. Right. So, you know, put on your German jersey. <laughs> and then your American passport. Well, as soon as I got to the airport, German police already lined up because I had to fly through Germany. So like, the plane stopped in Germany. As soon as we came out of the plane, there were police all over on both sides. Like, I already stopped and I just showed my passport. As soon as the cop saw him and he's, Oh, he's, oh, hello. He just started speaking German to me. 
I'm like, danke, danke, danke. You can go far with danke. Expression, I don't speak German. He's like, oh, no, no problem. And then he's, but he's, as well, I just saw the jersey. It had the stars, the World Cup wins there. That's it. You're welcome. He's smiling at me, like customer service. Like, yeah, thank you. He's like, oh, cool. I was like, hey. If I had something on me, I already walked through already, but uh, <laughs> we weren't talking about that right now. But, yeah. uh, yep. And that's how I was like, breaking the ice with some places. So, hey, <laughs> even before I met Verena, I've told that this story. Like, I met a Bulgarian who works for ice, but her job scared me. And because um, she helps deport people. And so it was quite weird. But yeah, as, as soon as she told me she was Bulgarian, I started mentioning soccer players from my country. She was like, oh, we're on the same team, that too. And, She's like, oh, and then we had a conversation. She's like, oh, you, you, I don't, I don't watch football, but yeah, you, you know a lot about my people. Yeah, you know, like, right, right. It always works. It breaks the ice. Yeah. It breaks the ice. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I could say strip clubs, but um, yeah, I, I, I prefer to use football players. Pre- I, sh- I, I learned. I learned. <laughs> but I le- it worked out for you. Anyway. It worked out. But it just in case out. you have to, you know, we get reset. You know, some aliens show up and do the time. Travel magic. Definitely. And go back, use football next time. Yes, we'll for sure. <laughs> we'll for sure. There, there's some football teams in Israel, like, you know, um, what are they called again? Um, Ata, um, Haifa. Yeah, uh, well, he did. You know, my friend took him to a uh, football game in Israel, too. And so he got to experience the Israeli football. <laughs> yeah, that is it's, something I love about the sport that it transcends arguably any difference imposed by us onto each other. So, uh-huh. you know, it transcends, uh, you know, age, cultures, language, yeah. socioeconomic status, ability or disabilities. I mean, you name it. If you f- are part of a uh, mm-hmm. culture that follows football and... And it's a, it's always a conversation starter. Anyway, I've great. been in the world and I, I, I want to start chatting with taxi drivers. It's one way to just get them talking. And like even here, all the times, like even Verena says, like you always get taxi drivers talking, like they've known you for years. I'm like, I'm in a taxi driver, the Ukrainian. He's driving me and he's, all, he's wearing all Adidas. I'm like, that's a joke my Russian brother always makes. Like, we, we have this Adidas gang we call ourselves because you have to wear the Adidas outfit from head to toe. It's an Eastern European thing. The Adidas gang, that's what we call it. You know, Adidas gang. They got to, they, even we've seen pictures of people at their wedding wearing Adidas, everything. So, right. And uh, as soon as he, we started talking and I just mentioned, well, which you, where are you from, brother? And he says, Ukraine. I'm like, what team? Kiev, Shakhtar Donetsk. He's like, ah, no, 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 I don't like that. Shakhtar is Kiev. And then we talk about the best year of Kiev. And they just, and then you get a whole lot of history that you never asked for. But, you know, it's, but. But it's, you're right. It's, yeah. It is like a nice break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so everywhere, every country I've been, you know, and they're like, wow, you know, we don't, you're not like other Americans. Like, yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I'm, I'm 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 glad it worked out for you though, because that's not easy for, for a guy to go with a strip club. It's it's first. not it's not you know it's maybe I think it was the nerves the nerves got to me. Oh yeah, of course, of course. Like 
when when you when you chat with Verena, she'll tell you my 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 own mess up. I, I make it sound like I'm I did everything right, but she'll tell you mine. <laughs> you, hear, you only hear my side of the story. That's why it sounds all good. That's why it sounds all smooth and straight. Yeah. That's why. Like, well, actually, well, actually, <laughs> it's different when you hear. Actually, from, he called by the when, wrong when, name. When, when you hear from ladies, then you're like, oh, oh, and oh, then, that's how it was. Oh, and then yeah, it's gonna be like, wait a minute, I thought, and I'm like, what did she say? What? Who? <laughs> nah, it was. Uh, she's mistaking me for my twin brother. There's a twin brother, like, but, but I've never met him before. <laughs> <laughs> but he always shows up. But he's know, always when you're not there when, yeah. yeah when, whenever I'm late to a date, <laughs> then he shows up. <laughs> <Ta-da>. <laughs> <laughs> so when when did you guys decide to move to uh, New York and why Brooklyn? Uh, we moved here. Uh, essentially, to for me to complete my my doctor. And as a psychologist, so I was, I, I got a more or less a residency. It's called an internship in clinical psychology mm-hmm. and uh, at a city hospital here. And um, we moved, you know, three years ago with uh, our, with our daughter. She was five weeks old oh. and, um, and she had kind of, you know, as she mentioned before, Gali had been, to the to New York several times. I had been too, but just like the tour doing the touristy stuff. And oh, so you guys are those annoying tourists. We once were, yes. Yep, yep. <laughs> but then we're like, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a New Yorker now, so I get to throw that around. Like, I, you know what? We should talk about that because I I heard that you can't. I don't know what you think about this, but I heard from people who are born and raised here who that you have to spend at least ten years. In the city to be called a New Yorker, and I'm well, like, I, I have a counter to that. I okay. fell on, I fell on the tracks. So there, a, that's a you born, experienced it. A native it. born New Yorker crowned me a New Yorker. He said, "You are now You're the New fast Yorker. lane of being a New Yorker." <laughs> I fell. On, I, I, I was actually. I, I spent 20 seconds because before I even touched the ground, I was like, "Hell no, I ain't, I'm, no, I'm not saying no, 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 no." Uh, I was bouncing. <laughs> it was so fast that the only two people at the station was a uh, prospect. Um, Avenue, by the way, and uh, Prospect Station, and uh, the only two people there was around eleven, uh, yeah, after eleven p.m. The only two people there didn't even realize it happened so fast that it was like wow. I went, I went, I was trying to take off my hoodie and I didn't realize I was walking. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like whoa! And I, I just, <laughs> I did. I was like wow! I still got this move. So I was, it was so fast and I was like climbing out. And the That's two people scary. that didn't want, one guy was facing the wall for some reason. And I was reading a book and none of them realized that I, I went in and out. And I, I wrote about it on Facebook and someone born and raised in Brooklyn was like, now you are in New Yorker. You're crowned in New Yorker. That's it. That's, You've had that experience. It, man. Less, less than six months in New York. That's it. Mm-hmm. You're already in New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, thank you. Like I, Now I can rub it in people's faces. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. That, I mean, it's you know, it's good that you were able to get on that express lane to be in a hey. New Yorker. I, the the life chose me. That's what I can <laughs> that's say. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I think yet yeah, for us, you know, I got that position, and my wife also um, was able to interview uh, 
while being in Chicago, and she essentially we both had jobs. Well, you had a job lined up, right? Yeah, yeah, lined up a job so we could get an apartment. So because yeah. <laughs> that's another that's, uh, that's, uh, that's an experience that on its own. Yeah, <laughs> there's not yeah. enough podcasts to talk about being Ooh. a renter in New York City. Oh yeah, that's. <laughs> Ain't no lie. That's uh, yeah. That's true. That's that's a special podcast unto itself. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. But uh, let, let me jump to um, I'll speed it up a little bit. So you guys did something that I'm well. You did like two things that I'm quite envious of. Um, you backpacked through South America. Um, so that's going back to Chicago, right? Yeah. That's yeah. uh, before kids, before, before kids. grad school. <laughs> and um, before you guys backpacked, were your families aware that you were going to do it? Or? Yeah, we brought it up. Um, so my dad was like, yeah, that's cool. You know, I mean, he moved when he was 20 to Israel on his own. So well, with a group of friends. But so for him, it was like, yeah, do it. My mom was like, what are you doing? You're crazy. Don't do that. What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she was against it. She's like, you guys are just plain stupid. <laughs> Why are you doing this? We sold our car, you know. I um, took a second job just as a waitress to um, save up some money yeah. uh, for the trip. And we were like, yeah, we're going to just, we already have a ticket you know, to Colombia, and we're just going to go there and start the trip. And, you know, and they're like, well, what are you going to do? What are you, we, we don't know. We don't, you know, we yeah. did, didn't have much planned. And, um, yeah, it was not taken. <laughs> Basically, we didn't have too much support for this trip. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, my, my dad, he said something like, I didn't bring you to this country to travel. You should you should be going to school I'm, and I'm, like go, buy <laughs> buy properties and immerse yourself in the world of real estate. Like, what do you you know? What that, are you, that stupid? sounds you know like like this every is not, Nigerian yeah. parent, right? Like you, you no a, one no one, no parent struggles with like moving to another country yeah. for all of a sudden they're twenty something year old you know, adult child goes, uh, I just quit my job. I sold the car. We sold our furniture. We just are going to go. <laughs> We're going to leave this We're country leave now and, and live off of a backpack. <laughs> and it was, I cannot say this enough. It was arguably the most fulfilling experience enriching in, in my life. And, I, you know, I think if we were to do it, we were able to do it again in a heartbeat, but I think we'll have to adjust now with kids. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand that. That's why I'm saying I'm, I'm so envious of you guys for doing it because once upon a time, I, I had something like that in my mind. I'll, I'll do something like this, and then I never did. It's never too late, Raphael. Yeah, I got one kid now, and it's. Uh, <laughs> there are special carriers you can put your child on, and you can you can do it with. Well, I just Raina. I just go give out to the grandparents <laughs> in Germany. They'll they'll love that. Like, all right, go stay there. <laughs> yeah. And I I go through Europe instead, and you know, and, and sleep with on um on couch surfing, do some couch surfing. Yeah, yeah and but, we did that too. We couch surfed, and mm-hmm. but essentially we we had just 
the trip, you know, the flight to flight there and fly back within like eight months apart. And so oh. we had kind of new like holidays we would spend in Colombia for okay. like two weeks, but you know, it would could be somewhere in Pata, you know, in the so Chilean you, you, Patagonia. You started from uh, Colombia, and where next did you go to? We flew to Lima, Peru, mm -hmm. um, after Colombia, and from there uh, we took buses. So we went to, uh, just around Peru. We gave a lot of time for Peru because it's just so rich in culture. And we took buses all over. And then it, around December, we had a flight back. Oh, actually, no, we didn't even fly back. We took a bus up north and we made our way through northern Peru to um, Ecuador and then through Colombia to Bogota to celebrate Christmas with his family and New Year's. Nice. And from there after New Year's, we flew uh, to Argentina. And actually, one of our friends' uh, sister was living there at the time. So we met up with her and... Um, yeah, we made our way back through all of that, through Argentina, you know, Ushuaia, Chile, and we went to Brazil um, and flew back to Colombia. But it was it was definitely a great time. It was it was nice to just wake up and try and decide what what do I what do I want to do today? You know, I can do nothing or I can go explore something. Um, but that it was very freeing. So what what will you say is your biggest takeaway from that um from the whole journey from the whole experience from the whole experience I think um well one of the things is that I I notice is that a lot of people fear uh, things you know they're they're just afraid of the ideas of things so mm. so the idea of quitting jobs and traveling and losing that security yeah um, you know, and there are just so many people doing that. And, and when, you know, you're, when you tell your friends or your family here what you're about to do and they're saying, don't do it. And when you go there and you see all these other people doing it, you realize, wow, this is a whole community that travels. Um, and people are just more accepting. They, you know, you go and meet people from all over the world or even locals and, they just have this understanding and, and no matter where you are from the world, they want to know more about it. They want to know your journey. They, you know, and so that was nice. It was nice to be part of that traveler's community there and um, experience it with other people that are also traveling in the same um, place where you are in, yeah. in, in life. And I think, you know, something we talked about is that you don't really need much to be happy like yeah. as plain and simple as you can try to say that and that's part of what we realized because we lived out of a backpack for eight months and you know and changing hostels camping and and yes it can be hard if for a lot of practical reasons but but you realize that a lot of the world outside the u.s in general, you know, that you, you essentially you don't need to have a lot of a lot of material mm -hmm. things, mm -hmm. and so for me, it was it was that it helped me kind of redefine happiness, right? So for me, I knew that experiences and um, like the experiences and memories can be more fulfilling than just working 80, 60, 80 hours a week and to buy nice things and to, you know, to sort of be in this cycle of, 
being indebted and kind of just to impress people and yeah. and so I we realize I realize that there's that you don't need all this <laughs> all these material things to be happy and um and that I think great things come from taking risk I you know mm-hmm. we it was an idea not well received by your my by our inner group in our inner families and a few people were you know were accepting and encouraging but and you know not only risk from that but also of not knowing of uncertainty right so people yeah. are like you stayed with strangers <laughs> we're like yeah couch surfing and it was amazing <laughs> and yeah. you didn't like know what city you would be in and how you would be flying and what you'd be eating and we're like nope 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 yeah <laughs> but, we would arrive late at night at a city not knowing where we're staying you know not knowing anything about that city and just we had a um lonely planet <laughs> book right and so we would look up oh let's just see what hostel they list and just go there and ask around right um, so right. yeah so it definitely helps you know right. kind of take down that fear of do mm-hmm. of taking risk you know yeah. like moving to brooklyn not knowing right much, uh, it, that, it helps. I, that's how i moved to brooklyn too and i've hosted people on couch surfing so uh, oh. i think I, i i was of the perfect mind to do something like that but uh, life changed things <laughs> right uh well I've, this has gone a little bit longer than i expected so i'll kind of end up with uh two questions that i normally ask that i've postponed asking um i can't go without asking about music and food so now that you've been to a whole bunch of places and you live in brooklyn when it comes to food where does your heart belong to <laughs> you have to betray somebody you got to get one nation mad or you got to get somewhere <laughs> mad and people going to come after you so think carefully Think carefully. And, uh, and I'm, 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 I'm going to lick your secret out. I'm going to give whoever feels offended. I'm going to be like, come get them. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I'm definitely a foodie and uh, and traveling. You really appreciate um, different cultures, obviously through food and through music, but... Um, I think I kind of was also adopted by the Mexican culture in the U.S. here as part as a, a Latinx immigrant, and so mm-hmm. I absolutely love Mexican food, mm. um, and I also enjoy obviously you know home cooked meals from you know we make. Uh, tamales which are uh wrapped in plantain leaves and it has uh, three or four different types of meats every every christmas and um but i also love israeli food and the spread that they have on the table and uh, the connection it's such a very it's such a um international connection with food there that it was the complete opposite in Colum- from Colombia because Colombia was you know it's it's not as it's still sort of very early in terms of being international but growing up and it wasn't as such um until I went to you know I tasted my wife's food and uh, I have to make sure that this is on tape she's a great cook 
Smart man. Yes. He doesn't want to betray both nations. He's putting everybody, no. like even, even the Mexican yeah. side. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so I, it's. Giving love to everybody. I, it, you know, I think, um, and even just food that we're not uh, too familiar with. I have a thing that I say to her when, if like if if I'm kind of we're if we're starving, I'd rather go with something familiar than trying to explore, <laughs> like a you know like a a different type of cuisine. I think I have to be more or less like essentially less hangry to be able to appreciate. Mm. Um, but I think I. Uh, uh, Food is is really important. We um, we laughed when we looked at apartments here because some listings actually say the kitchen is fully functional. We're like, what? So you can cook your food, and we're like, what? So how else do you want? You know. So, but yeah, I think um, food and music. You're right, Raphael. They do go hand in hand, and in holidays, there's a lot of both. You know. At, when I talk to my wife about this, I kind of tell her that it's not fair that we only have like two or three main holidays in the year, right? They have, you know, and my wife uh, is Jewish, so they have, I don't know, like 20 something holidays. <laughs> and, and so it's like a little bit. So that's why when we have our holidays, Christmas, New Year's, we go all out and, um, but yeah, it's you know, and music, you know, you sort of have to have to you have to dance regardless of of your age at a family party. So if you have merengue, if you have salsa, bachata, if you if you're arguing with your wife, you have to fight it off in the dance floor. <laughs> like it, you know. Oh, okay. Eat, have a little bit of a you know beer, wine. And dance it off. Dance all your anguish away, essentially. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was, that's how I, you know, um, my, my music affinity goes to it's more uh, like. Any dancing. artist who's your favorite? Uh, okay, let me ask you this way Who's Gali's favorite um, artist? Uh, who's music, her the music artist? that she can't live without? Oh man, you, he really is taking putting me on the spot. Hell here. yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, she, I'll ask Gali too. Don't worry. I I know. Um, you, you come, I, let, let me make it easier for you. you. Three. It's, it's a little hard, Raphael, because now we just kind of have a lot of children. So I'm gonna say, okay, name, Lauren name Berkner. She sings. <laughs> she sings children's songs. She sings We Are the Dinosaurs. Oh, I, I don't know who that is. No. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's it's just the children's uh, song. Singer, well, I, song I, I like I like what you did there. I like what you did there. But try, no, I try. know that she likes she likes um you know Gloria Stefan. Uh she oh, likes, old school. Yeah, a little bit of that sort of ballad. Uh slow you know slow paced mm -hmm. um and in english uh i'll, I'll get you know let me <laughs> any israeli artists what about a favorite israeli artist um jeez i she okay um oh, i'm really putting you on i know i know yeah, that she yeah. used to yeah. like 
infected mushrooms. They're like an Israeli <laughs> house, uh, like uh, like. <laughs> we went to a concert of theirs maybe like 10 years ago um but uh yeah i think can you help me out here please <laughs> well, well i was gonna let him uh well <laughs> redeem himself but <laughs> yeah yeah you keep digging yourself in well, tell tell me andres start with his favorite music before you get into food um, his, okay, so his favorite new music, yeah. uh, I, he likes, like, uh, let me see. So he likes. Not so easy after all, huh? No, no, no. <laughs> listen. We, we may intend to get he, it right. For, like, the morning time, morning yeah. time music, he likes Fonseca. Oh. Cabas, you know, like, these, like, very Latin pop, um, nice. I like him, too. Nice <laughs> music. Thanks. <laughs> Um, it just depends on his mood too. For driving, he yeah. listens to a lot of old school salsa oh. and puts it on loud. Okay. Uh, yeah. I you mean, have to. You have to enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as I, in the U.S., he he loves ACDC. Okay. And he'll put some of those songs on too, way too loud. <laughs> that <laughs> especially if the sometimes the girls will be screaming you know in the back of the seat of the car and he'll just put that even louder just to make sure you know <laughs> he hears his music over their screen <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> no but he he likes acd it's true <laughs> okay yeah it did good <laughs> yeah more or less yeah um yeah but food yeah like food for us is very important we tend we cook a lot more i think than we go out to eat um yeah and i mean for me it's just the israeli food is always gonna be a winner i, I love to try different foods and i i like a lot of different foods but i always go back to mm. the israeli food i don't think i've had israeli food i know um first and probably last time i had something close to jewish was uh i can't recall what holiday it was and um one of my shipmates invited me we were in, in bahrain then and one of my shipmates invited me to his place and the nigerian mentality is when you, it's a holiday religious holiday there's supposed to be food plenty of food so i kind of did the nigerian thing of not eating mm. and it was like yeah i'm gonna eat and then i showed up there and there was this <sighs> flat potato bread stuff and you know, some wine and i was like um yeah where, where the food at <laughs> yeah so that's like, not israeli so there it, really isn't like, much uh, israeli he, he was like yeah that's, that's what we're eating I'm yeah like, that's it I'm like yeah i'm like man i'm out of here in five five minutes but i still have my bite <laughs> i was like <laughs> let me taste it I'm and like, buy don't ever invite me to your place again never ever never <laughs> or ever, eat, eat before ever. <laughs> man never ever do this again it's Nah, yeah, and after that, I don't think I've ever. Uh, if someone said, "Oh, we're gonna get Israeli food," I was like, "Really? Don't, don't ever say that around me. Don't." Yeah, so Israel. <laughs> I mean, Jewish and Israeli is very different, mm -hmm. and Israeli food it doesn't really have a definition. It's because it, uh, people from Israel are from all over. Yeah, yeah. It took um, me a while to. Start but that's that what he was. I think what Andres was saying that we have a big spread, right? Because mm -hmm. like Middle East, like you start the you know with a ton of different salads, so you're always having salad with your meal, or you know the meat is not the biggest 
part of the meal, right? Um, there's just so many salads included or so many sides, mm-hmm. and the meat is a smaller part of the meal. Yeah. Um, and ev- and pretty much everything is home cooked. So. Oh, and I remember yeah. there's um yeah my favorite liquor store did have um some Israeli herbal herbal liquor that um yeah yeah mm-hmm. I said I was gonna try one day but I, t- I have the photo somewhere. Yeah. And yeah, it was like. I was like, okay, for this one though, yeah, yeah, we, okay, yeah, call yeah. me back <laughs> <laughs> for the liquor. <laughs> oh, uh, something about music that um, I, I had to point out um, right after Clara was born. Yeah, I, pl- I play a lot of um, Afrobeat, the original Afrobeat, not mm-hmm. what's hot right now, and I just let it run on YouTube, and then somehow they put on um, the channel switch to some other channel that was talking about. Um, the 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 main guy of Afrobeat in Nigeria, um, Fela, and his manager was talking about how he found a bunch of um, Afrobeat bands and people who recreated Fela's songs in South America, and a bunch of them were in Colombia. I was like, what? People in Colombia play Afrobeat too? Mm-hmm. And there's actually a band that I, I follow on Instagram. Um, uh, some some women, they actually have good Afrobeat music. Um, what do they call themselves again? I have to find Fumilayo Fumilayo Afrobeat Orchestra. Yeah, uh, they're Colombians, Afro um, Afro Latinos. I have to check them out. Yeah, so I was like, wow, so it's uh, something like you know, as a kid, the identification of Latinos were, you know, a white person. That was all we had in our mind, and then it's later as I realized that oh, even the dark-skinned ones were also Latinos, you know, because it take a while for that. Because like we, uh, what they call them, um, the soap operas, the uh, novelas, telenovelas, uh, telenovelas. Yeah, they they were huge in Nigeria, and then the first time we saw a black person in one, oh, maybe that's one forgotten American who <laughs> appeared in there, and then years later I started realizing that uh, you know, that's actually Afro-Latino. Mm-hmm. Who's in the play, but it's just not a main major character, right? So those are stuff that uh, it's now people are realizing that oh, there are people like that exist in music and all that. Right. So it's some of the um, the bridges that um, can be built and can connect people in Africa. Because like Brazilians come to Nigeria for, for traditional, uh, they do traditional pilgrimages, the Afro. Brazilians, they, they, they've been coming for years, mm-hmm. long, long time. They've been coming to, like the ones, the Western Nigeria, they come to worship, though they have, they f- worship the gods there. They, they do all uh-huh. that. But in, in Portuguese, in, in their part of Brazil, they, they just, the spelling is different from Yoruba. It's like, where it's a G, I think it's X, they, you know, just little changes in their side. Mm-hmm. But it's like the other parts of South America, we, we're not used to seeing those pilgrimages coming over. So we just didn't make that connection that people like that exist. And then it's like now that we started making those connections. So we only just started blacks, only United States from Brazil. And then later I started like, oh, Colombia exists. Yeah. Oh, Peru, well, Bolivia. Everybody had black people there too. Right, yeah. It's so and then with food and then we start realizing that oh even food in, included so like uh, last point I have to make on food um, 
um, Venezuela, I have a good brother. He's also Rafael. I don't know why Venezuelans love naming themselves Rafael. <laughs> There's so many. I can't go. That's why I don't want to go there. I'm, I'm in competition, you know. <laughs> so um, they have this thing also made from uh, wrapped in plantain leaves to um, uh, ayate. Uh, ayate. Is that ayate or ayate? Ayate? Yeah. And the way it's wrapped in Nigeria, if you, this, if, if, if you present that picture and show it to a Nigerian, they'll say, oh, my, my, oh, you have, where you get my, my from? That's the first thing Nigerian will say to you. And if you unwrap it, it looks exactly like my, my. But in Venezuela, it's made from corn. Mm. Right. And in Nigeria, it's made from black-eyed peas. Mm. But it's almost literally the same, looks the same. Uh-huh. And I don't know the history, but probably, you know, somewhere down the line, some, some, somewhere down the line, you know, Whenever the black people came there, the Africans probably they switched theirs to corn, mm-hmm. but it's the same exact same preparation, but just corn instead of black eyed peas, right? That they use, and it comes out looking the exact same way. When you add meat, whichever meat, it's, it's depending on who's preparing it. So you add whichever meat you have into it, and in Nigeria you do the same thing, or you add shrimps, whatever, or eggs, you can do it, right? And it looks the exact. So even when I went still with my boy in Florida. And he was like, oh, I have a yachty. And I opened the fridge and I was like, wait, you got moi moi? And I tasted it, almost tasted the same, but it's corn, so you can tell mm-hmm. the difference. And I took a photo and posted it on Facebook. Every Nigerian was coming, like, oh, you got, well, you're eating moi moi? Wait, why do you make moi moi like this in America? And I was like, no, it's not. It's, they're like, oh, why are you going to tell us it's not moi moi? Like mad at me on Facebook for saying it's not moi moi. I said, no, I'm the one eating it, so I should know what it is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so. I was just wondering, like, when you mentioned plantain wraps, well, I know tamales because I've eaten tamales, but yeah. it's interesting because even in Central America, too, you have a lot of stuff that's wrapped in right. plantain leaves, and it's just mm-hmm. fascinating that how that wrapping of food in plantain leaves is found I, all over the Americas. And I don't, I, I don't know if anyone has done the tracing, but it'd be fascinating to see if it's related to... The, the part of Nigeria where it's, they have that wrapping of food in plantain leaves or like West Africa. Yeah, so, I would, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't be surprised. I think mm-hmm. you're right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Okay, so, yep, have to wrap it up. And so final question. Um, we didn't get to touch on some other topics because we got, we got we, we're having way too much fun. <laughs> but we'll definitely have to do a part two down the line. So final question. Um, what would you like to leave the audience with? Could be a word of advice, could be a quote from your favorite song. We're not going to ask what song it is, but be a favorite <laughs> song or a book that you read, you know? Well, uh, from your trip, some wise word that was told to you, a wise quote, yeah, anything. But yeah, what would both of you like to leave the audience with? Um, I think for me, it's, uh, for people to not be afraid to take the risk. So if you are thinking, um, of doing something or, you know, you, you're at a fork in the road and you're about to not do something because you're just afraid or you have that fear that's holding you back to just go for it. It's just, it's easier said than done, but, but sometimes just doing it. And just going for that opportunity or whatever it is um, in life to just do it. Uh, it, you know, and again, it might be 
a bad decision, you you won't know, right? But um, it for us, a lot of risks we've taken or things that we were afraid to do but did it anyways um, turned out to teach us a lot and you and we gained a lot from it so i i for me it's just just you know you might be afraid but just do it anyways just go for it that's great yeah um i think for me um i have to say like failing is part of growth and like it's very cliche but you know i think um we can certainly always learn from um from any situation circumstance um so i always always sort of try to think about i shouldn't we I shouldn't postpone or plan things um for a future that I may never see, right? Yeah. So essentially not being to live in the moment, but also uh, enjoying the moment, if that makes sense. So yeah, you know, if you have kids, you have to plan like, you know, daycares and that sort of thing. But um I guess that's it's two parts. One is um like, you know, I think failing is such a powerful kind of has a strong connotation, but if if we look at um you know, the, the path that we took, we worked and we had a had a little bit of a different path for ourselves which was traveling and it taught us so much about how much we can endure and how how much together we can we can um how much adversity together we can go through um and we would not have been able to do that if we hadn't taken that risk and if we had just you know stuck if we you know if we hadn't done it so um we try to live you know enjoy the moment that's something i always try to do because especially now we're kind of pulled in so many different directions and yeah. And uh, and when I say enjoy the moment, I mean really just more like the present, right? So we focus on a future that may never come, right? So like, oh, let me work for 40 years and then I can retire and, and enjoy it. But really, like, is that you want to work on your best, your best years of your life kind of thing? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, f- you know, follow your, your passion. Um, lean into that fear my wife was talking about you know fail is a part of the growth and and just i think uh, be in the moment and and i think appreciate the moment because it's it's great if you can just you know pay attention to everything in the moment Alrighty, thank you that was beautiful from both of you and i appreciate you all for coming on the podcast this was fantastic. Can't thank you all enough. Thank you. For giving me your time. Thank you, Rafael. I know I took a lot more than I expected. So uh, thank you all for joining us for this episode. Don't forget to share with your friends and give us five stars and a like and um, great reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere you can find us at. Um, thank you for the privilege of your company.
thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoy the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support.